Welcome to CII Podcasts. I'm pleased to introduce uh, Dr. Karthik Murli Dharan, uh, Tata Chancellor's Professor of Economics, University of California, San Diego. Uh, you know, born and raised in India, Karthik, uh, you know, has a uh, amazing, uh, uh, you know, uh, academic uh, record. Harvard, Cambridge, Harvard again, uh, where he got his PhD in economics. Uh, has been a um, research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research. He heads the education program at the Jamil Poverty Action Lab. I'm, I'm really pleased to actually moderate uh, this um, talk by Dr. Karthik Murli Dharan. I'm Chris Gopal Krishnan, past president CII. We will look at ideas for school education. The pandemic has disrupted school education good quality school education for all can act as an ultimate equalizer within society, equal opportunities than equal benefits, right? Uh, education empowers the individual, creates opportunity for social mobility and makes the likelihood of higher incomes and lower poverty much greater. Over to you, Karthik, to make your opening remarks on the education side, especially primary education. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Chris, for that introduction. We all we all understand intuitively, right, that the pandemic has been especially bad for children. But one of the first things I want to do today is just highlight how severe this problem is. Okay, and I think one of the problems we have is that the trade-off between health and education. So we closed the schools because we were concerned about infections and disease spread, right? But the trade-off between the cost of shutting schools and the potential benefits of reduced infection is very different for different socioeconomic students, right? So for kids who are high SES, who have access to online devices, access to educated parents, the loss in education is a lot lower. But for kids who have been out of school for one and a half years, um, this loss is almost certainly are going to be devastating. So we have already data from multiple sources, including a large study done by Azim Premji Foundation, that over 85% of children, um, particularly those in rural areas and going to government schools, have lost learning levels relative to where they were. Now, to give you a sense of how serious this problem could be, uh, some of the best research we have on this is a study done um, in Pakistan in 2005 by Jishnu Das and co-authors. And they looked at this, there was this earthquake that destroyed a whole area with schools and households. And they found that, so they managed to track these children four years later. And what they found was even four months of school closure, right? Schools were closed for just four months, led to a two year reduction in learning outcomes. So when they went back and tested these children at the end of class four or class five, even though the schools have been shut for only four months, the total cumulative learning loss was two years. Okay. Now, how could this happen? Because you normally think, okay, I have lost maybe a few months of school. I'll go, I'll catch up. And then maybe it won't be so bad after some time. Now, but what they found was that for children with educated mothers, there was no loss. They had caught up completely. But for the children without educated mothers, the loss had actually compounded. A four month closure had become two years of learning loss. Till class two, a lot of the instruction that happens is oral instruction. 
but once you get to class 3 you're expected to start reading your textbook so if you can't read to learn by the time you get to class 3 your education for all practical purposes is over okay because you spend time in the class you try to cram for some exams and you will try hopefully to pass an exam but the truth is that the comprehension of the child is already so far behind where the textbook is that the productivity of time spent in school is very very low once you have passed that threshold of not being able to read okay and so basically even before the pandemic we were seeing data you know from pratham studies as well as several other independent studies my own studies that you know there's no doubt that even before the pandemic we faced sort of a learning crisis where close to half of children in class 5 in rural india were not able to read at even a class 2 level okay so and you can imagine how much worse it must be now that we've had these schools shut for about 18 months because when you've closed schools for 4 months you have permanently put children on a lower learning trajectory because typically when the schools open what happens is the teacher goes back and starts the curriculum assuming that you know 4 months you don't you might have some ad hoc attempt at catching up for those missed 4 months but now after 18 months of school closure you have children who maybe were in class 2 when the school shut down are now coming back and joining in class 4 and have almost certainly regressed to a level of learning that is comparable to class 1 okay so if you now have this child sitting in class 4 and the teacher picks up the class 4 textbook and tries to interact it is kind of pointless because most of these children are probably at class 1 level right and so the and this is the silent crisis that basically nobody in urban india seems to be aware of because it's a completely different universe right so you know anybody almost anybody who's attending this uh, this session you know probably has the kids in a private school has educated parents has smartphones and devices at home and this is the data you're not seeing and the reason this kind of measurement is possible is when you have computer adaptive testing you can dynamically adjust the question to get to exactly the learning level of the child so we know exactly how far below grade level standards the kids are okay so and like i said this is a pre pandemic picture so if anything post pandemic the situation is going to be much much worse okay so i think the good news is we finally i think slowly started opening schools in my assessment i think we delayed opening schools well below what was optimal now of course the second wave was devastating there's no question about it but even in july or august we were starting to open malls and movie theaters before we opened schools which i think was a mistake but the flip side is the pol- you can't even blame the politicians because the politicians were kind of in a no win situation here right because essentially the population is risk averse if you would open schools and there were to be an increase in infections then you know they they would get into trouble either way okay and so this was one of these incredibly difficult situations where as a society we needed to have taken the call that said yes there will be an elevated risk but the unseen cost of school closures is going to be so much more monumental that this is a risk that we're willing to take okay now the good news is finally we've kind of gotten our act together and schools have started opening but it's really important to understand that we cannot go back to business as usual you cannot simply say that okay this is a kid now in fourth class i'm going to teach you fourth standard work because it's not going to it's not going to make any sense okay so that's point number 1 and organizations like pratham organizations like central square foundation other organizations you know as in premji foundation they've all been doing a lot of ground level work and you know mamadi foundation in in tamil nadu so there are a lot of high quality nonprofits that have been doing ground level work in terms of coming up with blueprints of how exactly school openings need to be you know structured how do you kind of bring in additional instructional time how do you kind of put aside the textbook and make sure that you're getting the basic competences before you try to get back to business as usual so i think that's a really important area to get the details right so then let me make kind of a couple of concrete suggestions right so one 
thing I'm optimistic about after all of this is that, you know, we just completed a recent study based on a large scale randomized evaluation um, of strengthening the preschool system, strengthening the Anganwadi system by putting an extra worker. Okay, So, you know, if you talk, if you listen to Rukmini Banerjee of Pratham talk about the Anganwadi worker, she will describe these workers as kind of the Madhurga of our education system because they single-handedly carry a load of everything from nutrition to parental, maternal counseling to home visitations to preschool education to making sure the meals are cooked. And this is one person, okay, who's supported with one helper. So what did we do in the study? Now again, ICDS uh, advocates have been, you know, the right to child rights groups have been talking about the need for an extra work in the ICDS for 20 years. Okay, so you can go back and find requests for this in 2001, 2006, leading into the 12th plan. But, you know, because we've always been fiscally constrained, the government has hesitated to expand this kind of program. So what we did in Tamil Nadu was run a large-scale randomized trial where in about a 320 Anganwadis, you know, randomly half of them were given this extra worker. And this worker was really in a half-time shift, okay, at a modest stipend of 4,000 rupees a month. And what we found within 18 months is that you had dramatic improvements in learning outcomes of the children of age 3 to 5. And even more importantly and unexpectedly, we also found meaningful reduction in child malnutrition and that's because you were freeing up the time of the existing Anganwadi worker to focus a little bit more on nutrition related tasks and now the problem from a public finance perspective and I'll come back and talk about this in the second half is that you know as an economist you know though you know when an economist working in social policy you put cost effectiveness at the front of everything right now the good news here is that how do you assess the cost effectiveness of something like this we don't have longitudinal data in the Indian setting but using other global benchmarks what we estimate is that the long term returns to this improved early childhood education and reduced nutrition is likely to generate a return on investment of somewhere between 12 to 20 times the cost okay so you're talking about a social ROI of about 20x and we actually estimate that the rate of public funds spent in this program the rate of return is infinite and that's because the increased tax revenue alone if you present do the present discounted value of the increased revenue stream from the taxes because when the income goes up even if people are not paying tax because you now have GST and an indirect tax network, even if you take 8% of that increased income as feeding back into tax revenue, this intervention of putting an extra Anganwadi worker will have an infinite ROI, right? So that's an evidence-based idea that can go into the budget this year because it's inexpensive. Scaling this up will take about 10 to 15,000 crores. And even if you don't do this nationwide overnight, in fact, I remember talking to Dr. Vinod Paul of Niti Aayog and I presented this there a couple of months ago and he no, no, mentioned how the most effective part of the healthcare system are the ASHA workers. And just like, you know, ASHA workers were a pilot that was done in Gacharoli district in uh, by Dr. Abhay Bang and Rani Bang in, in, in Maharashtra. And then one fine day it got scaled up and became this nationwide program with a million workers. And that is actually perhaps the most effective part of our rural primary outreach in terms of uh, rural health. So similarly, I think we now have the evidence and the moment to kind of say, let's take something like this and scale it up, or maybe in a staggered way over a couple of years. But that would be a very concrete idea I would have. And then related to that, and maybe, you know, we think about technology a lot, and technology is wonderful. I've written papers in EdTech, but the truth is that technology is still mainly reaching the top 10% of the population, right? I mean, so I think the innovation should continue to happen in technology, and the government and philanthropy need to work on how do you get the benefits of the technology to the bottom of the income distribution. But in the meantime, there are low tech solutions, and this was actually covered in The Economist a couple of weeks ago, um, there are low tech solutions like putting this extra locally hired worker that you know will deliver dramatic returns. So let me stop there and take questions because otherwise we'll run out of time. Uh, thank you, uh, Karthik, uh, for uh, wonderfully presenting this idea. 
um, you know, it's very interesting. You know, we did an experiment here in Bangalore. Um, this is some years back, about um, maybe 10 or 15 years back. We asked the corporation um, to give us the lowest um, pass percentage schools, you know, schools which had zero pass percentage in the 10th grade or maybe very high. And the average for the state was 63% or 64% at that time. And we said that we will um, uh, create a program for after school tuition. Corporation schools are the schools where, you know, poorest to the poorest children go. And government spends actually enormous amount of money per student, 20,000 rupees per student, you know, almost very similar per month, very similar to what a private individual would spend in a private school. And we only intervention we did was uh, after school tuition. That is what you talked about, the extra Anganwadi worker. And for three years, we ran the program for the eighth grade, ninth grade and 10th grade. And by the time these students uh, finally took the 10th grade exam, in these schools, the past percentage actually had almost reached the state average of 63%. That intervention was effective. Then we handed over all that data to the government to continue. We don't know what happened after that. The only other intervention we did was we would actually uh, we created a management system where um, we would monitor the, the uh, progress. So the teacher has to report back to us whether the student is attending, what grade, what uh, marks they are getting, etc. So progress will have to be reported back. So in some sense, accountability. Just two two things, you know, after school tuition and accountability it dramatically improved the result. So uh, you know, uh, I want to, uh, you know, you have given one solution, and I I believe I think that's a workable solution because we can take the same teachers, ask them to work an extra bit, give some personal uh, attention, etc. Uh, now we need to bring in accountability, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we need to bring in, yes, technology in education, people talk about uh, technology, uh, you know, in, in um, delivery, but technology in management, you know, do you mm-hmm. have any um, insights into that, any no, it's a fantastic <laughs> question, and and in fact, you know what is what, I mean. What's impressive here is you, from your personal experience, have summarized a lot of the insight from formal data, which is why is the mapping, why is the transformation of public expenditure and education into outcomes so weak, right? So if you look at the increase in spending for the past 15, 20 years, the correlation between expenditures and outcomes is remarkably weak, and that's mainly because, like you said, the two binding constraints in the system are governance and pedagogy, right? So the governance and accountability is one piece and the pedagogy is the other. So I think with pedagogy, what I've talked about, and there's a ton of evidence on this in terms of having this additional instructional support in early years to support foundational literacy numeracy. I think on accountability, you're absolutely right. And I think the scalable way of improving accountability is, so one thing which we have seen work recently is using kind of technology, not for just pedagogy, but technology for accountability with a view of independently measuring student learning outcomes. So, you know, what there's a recent study that showed that the official government data on learning outcomes is dramatically inflated because nobody wants to show that there is a problem. 
but what we were what one of the research teams was able to do was do an independent tablet based retest of the same children and so a first it documented how big the discrepancy was and b when they did the tablet based testing where the questions were coming from a random question bank of 10000 that you cannot cheat on or you cannot copy on that dramatically improved the data integrity so i think the foundation of governance is actually data integrity so sector after sector after sector you'll see that the official administrative data is inflated so this is true in you know it is true we understate nutrition we understate covid deaths we overstate learning outcomes so that way using technology for bringing better measurement itself can be a big force multiplier and um, you know a very quick question um, technology uh, in pedagogy you know in, in delivery um, you know that's one uh, intervention um, the government is um, because technology and accountability is a difficult thing to introduce everywhere even in the us i am told that it's a extremely difficult uh, um, intervention and and uh, and the you know teachers union teachers are resisting any kind of uh, accountability or measurement of accountability but um, technology in delivery uh, mm-hmm. in pedagogy is uh, being um, i think introduced everywhere now and with the experience of covid a hybrid mode of education uh, is seems to be um, seems to be the you know possible way of um, uh, improving quality now what do you think about introducing ai tools that means you know tracking the performance and and automatically creating a, a measurement system which uh, looks at outcomes but you know maybe in a in a uh, anonymized way uh, rather than uh, well it, it is personalized to the student but you know it doesn't have any data on the teacher any data any research on this kind of a anonymized uh, um measurement of uh, outcomes using ai machine learning etc you know that's also possible yeah so let me quickly kind of summarize in you know 2 minutes a whole body of research on education technology right so i think there is an enormous amount of promise in all aspects of technology but if you go look at the evidence the evidence the results are all over the place right so there are studies that find big positive effects the majority of studies actually find zero impact and then there are some that even find negative effects and so the moral of the story is that the details of the intervention matter a lot so the interventions that have been the most effective are the ones that effectively customize and personalize the instruction to where the student is the interventions that have had very little impact tend to be the ones that focus on hardware right so and this unfortunately if you look at policy documents national edtech policy will still focus for the most part on procurement and budgets for computers and simply providing the devices typically has very little impact and then you often sometimes even have negative impact if the nature of the tech intervention is disrupting what was an effective classroom so it can in fact get worse so the so the point is that the details really really matter so you know we did one study in delhi and then with rajasthan with mindspark you know which is this personalized adaptive software we found large positive effects but i've seen other studies of things like smart boards and video instruction and stuff that have found neutral or negative effects so coming to then your question about ai based you know see 
I think there's enormous potential to use technology to better kind of do research and pedagogy itself, right? So if you look at where education research is, in a way, it is a bit like where medical research was a hundred years ago, right? Which is we don't they have very little visibility into how to effectively teach, and so the evidentiary base of what goes into teacher training programs is actually remarkably weak. Okay, so there is huge potential for using technology, and now with online platforms, I think the other place where the digital can improve account. accountability is not so much in terms of teacher accountability but it now gives you visibility on what the child is actually learning right i mean so that graph that i showed you that a child sitting in eighth standard can't do second standard math will hopefully be less is less likely to happen in a world when you have visibility on what the child is doing month after month what modules have you worked on what are you solving what are you struggling with and so you can catch those things earlier i think the elephant in the room with all of this is that despite this dramatic increase in adoption of education technology the i am almost convinced that the inequality has gone up correct so when we talk about k shaped recovery in the economy i think this the k is even steeper in the case of education right so i think we did kind of probably delude ourselves into thinking that there's this online world where children are learning but i think the data is very clear that you know close to 70% of children i think close to 50 i think pratham just put out their asar data yesterday so you know i think 60% of households have access to a smartphone but even there the children i think in only 20 or 25% have regular access in lower grades it's much lower so i think the technology piece is important and that is something that should be funded by vc and private enterprise to push the feasible set but the role of government in philanthropy should also be perhaps disproportionately in terms of how do you take that right i mean to the to the bottom of the distribution yeah thank you uh only very quick question uh, karthik a uh, very quick question um you know has there no detention policy introduced some years back at the primary level led to poor learning outcome yeah and i think you know see the truth is it's a mixed bag okay i think it is it has almost certainly contributed to reduced dropouts right so the reason the original thinking behind no detention policy was that when you detain children the likelihood of dropout goes up significantly right so it was a well intentioned policy with regard to reducing dropouts but one of the cons unintended consequence of that is it has hidden this challenge that you are increasing the variation in the classroom in higher grades because children are mechanically being pushed so the in some ways we focus the debate on the wrong question of detention or no detention the real question is how do you provide the pedagogical support to the children who are falling behind to make sure that everybody is learning so i think when i think about a paradigmatic shift in the indian education system we need to move from a filtration paradigm to a human development paradigm where we say i don't it is not about your rank but what i care about is uh, do you know more today than you knew yesterday right so are you getting better every single day whereas our whole system because you see ranking by definition is a zero sum game right i mean so then you're caught in a rat race of rank whereas if you're sitting in if you kind of convert to a human development paradigm then you're thinking about how do i get every child to do better relative to where they were yesterday so um, you know very briefly uh, you know few points that came up uh, you know the intervention at the individual level by uh, adding extra resources so that uh, students can catch up uh, maybe an extra hour of school uh, second is uh, intervention using technology to look at accountability and uh, measuring perform uh, measuring the uh student uh, uh and 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 again providing the intervention that is required 
uh, a human development paradigm rather than a filtration paradigm more research needs to be done on uh, what can be done uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know accountability better performance in schools etc uh, and um, uh, lastly um, uh, when you look at technology intervention at the pedagogy level um, the results are not yet out and uh, we we need to think about uh, that very very carefully because maybe in addition to technology intervention at the pedagogy level there must be technology intervention at other levels etc um thank you karthik thank you for listening to cii podcasts